0: Invitations can change your life. How you respond to an invitation can change the course of your life. Welcome to Heart Talk with me, Dr. Charles Lee. After 42 years as a medical doctor with 35 years of experience as a plastic surgeon, I have faced real-life issues in health with open-heart bypass surgery, a financial crisis, and yet went on to earn a million ringgit within five years. Struggle through relationship and spirituality issues, on my journey to live my best life. So if you are searching for real-life solutions to real-life issues, then join me at the Heart Talk podcast for insightful interviews, heart-to-heart conversations, and selected book reviews. And together, let's talk. Nine years ago, I did my first podcast with a clinical psychologist in Sydney, and the first words she said to me was, Charles, be kind to yourself. I was struggling with psychological issues after my own open-heart bypass surgery. Now, nine years later, I'm still seeking the right solution on how to do just that. How to be kind to myself. And lo and behold, I recently happened to hear another clinical psychologist, Christine Runyon, on the On Being podcast. And I was fascinated at her explanation of the mind body connection and how this has been disrupted. And we should now engage the current pandemic situation with resilience and mindfulness. I have titled this first of a two part conversation as The Unexamined Life and the power of pause which is so practically helpful as i apply it to my own life and i hope you will too christine runyon is a clinical psychologist and professor in the department of family medicine and community health at the university of massachusetts medical school she is a certified mindfulness teacher christine co-founded and co-leads Tend health a clinical consulting practice focused on the mental well-being of healthcare practitioners. I'm Dr. Charles Lee. Let's talk with Christine Runyon. Can I call you, Gina?
1: Please do, yes.
0: Okay, um, I know how busy you must be. And, uh, you know, the world's just going faster than we can cope with. And so I'm pretty excited and all tuned up uh, to get the best out of you with the time. And I've titled my conversation with you as The Unexamined Life. Mm. <laughs> because I never in my lifetime did I ever press pause button and stop and examine my life and that's why i've ended up where i am today so if i can take you into that kind of a mode of discussion of uh, what socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living Mm -hmm. and if all of us can just stop and examine our lives and being a clinical psychologist using neuroscience take us into that area where none of us have time to stop because our lives are louder than ourselves.
1: Yeah, your story reminds me of, um, I I think when we, if we pause to examine our lives, it is almost always, and, and certainly the stories that I hear and I'm sure the stories that you have had the privilege to hear in some of these crucial conversations, it's almost always in the face of some um unwanted unwelcome and oftentimes quite tragic events so in your case you know in needing bypass surgery and um in the in the in the case for a lot of the people i work with and even for myself i think the, the the point at which i finally paused was really a point of pretty extreme um depletion sort of cognitive depletion where my curiosity and emotional depletion where my empathy And even physical depletion where my uh my energy all started to kind of fail me and 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 so so that is often what brings many of us to a screeching halt to ask this question of examining one's life and priorities and values and i think what you're sort of hinting at is what would it be like if we didn't all have to come to that point to start to ask those questions of ourselves. What if we could back that up and be quite intentional in our lives from a much earlier point that wasn't initiated through tragedy?
0: At what age should one be mentally, physically, emotionally aware to stop and start examining the life?
1: Well, I, I would love for it to be around adolescence because I think we would prevent a lot of <laughs> yeah. a lot of impulsive actions. But but truly, you know, that part of our development, it's it's almost necessary to um to take risks and our prefrontal cortex, our frontal lobe isn't actually fully developed at that point. And so okay. so much of what we do during that period as humans in in our adolescence is is certainly around a lot of risk taking, a lot of trying things out and trying things on to be able to yeah. form our identity. So in some ways that's probably too early. I will, I will tell you that um, the, so much of my work is done with uh, physicians in, in training and in a particular part of their training in their residency or fellowship training. So they've completed medical school which is a very heavily cognitive exercise, as you well know. Yeah. And then they enter this period of um, residency training, which is quite, you know, it's quite precious thinking about that career trajectory compared to other um, to other professional careers that people may have where they finish kind of college and then go into, um, into their first job. So this is their first job, but it really is the crucible, I think, of, personal and professional identity development that takes it um, in a way that either inculcates ways of being with themselves, that sets the early groundwork for, I think, burnout and disengagement, or even cynicism, or can lay down some bricks for for an examined life and for a very value-driven life where the reason for becoming a physician Um, really interdigitates with their own kind of humanity and how they are with, in relationship to themselves. So that, I think age-wise, you know, for most people, if they go straight through or take one or two years off, I mean, we're talking about really late twenties, early thirties.
0: This word mind, mindfulness is very loosely used. Uh, when they Google it, when they go into TED Talks, everybody's talking about the mind and the mindfulness and all that. Brain, I can understand because it's an organ, but mm-hmm. mind takes a mind to understand another one's mind. And where does it reside? How does one connect that with the body? Because everything that we hear today is about this distraction, dysfunction, disenablement, this, 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 this. So, Tina, I'm going to take you to that point of anybody listening in. How do we connect the mind to the body? When does that start? And how do we, you know, from a layman's point of view, somebody listening, um, Uh non-medical, because everything that's happening in our lives is a disconnect between the mind and the body. And, uh, And because of that, you know, intersection that is broken down and fractured, that we end up with so many problems that we face in our own life
1: yeah i mean that that what's coming to mind for me in that question are two things um you know empathy and compassion i think are really founded on this capacity to listen right and to really listen to one another not just with these you know with our our sense organs or ears um but to really allow somebody's experience and sharing of that experience to penetrate beyond just trying to make sense of it in one's own mind or worse trying to solve some you know identify and solve some problem um, so listening comes to mind and then presence Yes. and presence has to start in the body okay and so because to really be able to listen to one another to listen, you also have to cultivate that capacity to listen to oneself, and I really think both of those require um, presence.
0: When you talk about presence, um, how does one savor the precious presence? Because it's all about living in the present now, isn't it? And uh, and your thoughts as a clinical psychologist, how do you how do we cope? with what's happening around us and at the same time have an inner vision of what's happening on the inside and cope with it in the present. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I can hear you that presence and present is something very real that we are living in it and how I engage it myself is different from how you would engage it. Um, so how does one live in the present and make it precious? Mm-hmm. You know? The reason why I'm asking you this is because one of the first questions that when I sat next to Claudia, and I told her what I'd gone through, she said, Charles, you need to be kind to yourself. Until now, I just don't know what it is. You know, if I have a glass of wine, am I being kind to myself? (laughs) If I have a chat, so...
1: Well, and and I I work a lot in that space because of um, you know I, I work with clinicians and and medical school in the path of of medical training and probably true in some other health professions as well is actually a systematic process of detachment from oneself um, to the point also. of yeah well to the point of um, not tuning in, not being present with one's own, truly one's own biological and bodily needs. I talk with a lot of people who very intentionally limit their intake of fluids so that they, because they won't have time to use the restroom or don't want to have that internal sensation. Um, or will deny that, you know that hunger and sort of a biological need, a biological signal that your your body, your brain needs some additional fuel and and detach from that and ignore that, or even needing to uh, to sit and to rest. Um, so so I, I do think that the training in that way um, builds a capacity to detach from oneself that um, that ultimately is is the absence of presence because if we're detaching from self, but the expectation is to really be in presence with our patients and people that we're caring for, you are you're not flexing that muscle, you're not developing that skill. And so you either get people who have um, a level of unhealthy altruism in a way that you know completely ignores oneself in service, to others, and I would argue that that may not be. Um, you may actually not be able to um, bring full compassion and presence in that way if it doesn't include oneself. Um, so, but you have to start um, off
0: with yourself first, right? I mean, you know, you you always talk about having compassion for oneself. How does one do that? I want I want to I want to navigate in that area because still today I still do not know how to do it. Um, you know, to to be kind to oneself, to be compassionate to oneself, because that's all about inner life, isn't it? It's inner healing. It is.
1: it is. I love that you've. I love that you've said that because oftentimes I think the idea of self compassion gets conflated with, um, you know, the word self care or doing something nice for oneself. That I'm being self compassionate because I'm, um, you know. I don't know taking a mental health day and not going to work or going to the spa for you know manicures and pedicures like that may be a compassionate thing to do for oneself, um, but it really is about this inner world. It's about our inner relationship to and with ourselves um, through how we how we are in relationship to ourselves. It is sort of this you know first. <laughs> core relationship that has to do with presence as well as how are we how do we talk to ourselves what kind of internal messaging are we giving to ourselves that most of us have a pretty um you know intricate inner world and it's whether we sort of pause and and take the opportunity to um to really reflect on that and to really honor it um so self-compassion i think very much is about you know, our relationship to ourself first and foremost, and not just, you know, um, not just when things are, are going poorly or we're upset, but also when things are going well and that we can, if we can begin to unhook our equanimity to the external things around us, whether those be accomplishments or goals or, Um, again, sort of unwelcome things that we don't want in our lives that maybe are stumbling blocks to to our goals or how we thought it was going to be. So it's that uncoupling from what is happening to our own equanimity, which doesn't mean we have to be, you know, that we have to be excited or happy about things that sort of thwart our progress in some way or you know, uh, illness or even loss of life or somebody that we care about. We don't have to, you know, revel in that and, and be happy about it. But can we be um, unperturbed, you know, in our, in our inner experience and have some acceptance around that, which is, you know, is, is easy for little things and, and really challenging, really challenging. And, and a lot of work for big things.
0: Would you agree that the mind is centered to everything?
1: such a good question um so more and more i I don't i really uh experience my life personally trying to experience it through my senses through my sensory experience um which does in some ways include You know the mind sometimes like really as a sixth sense (laughs) you know the, the the ears hear things the eyes see things the mind thinks things so i do incorporate the mind into that and just like you know my eyes are not 20 20 vision so i don't see things the way somebody with 20 20 vision would literally see things or my hearing might be slightly off, I may not have as much um, sort of breadth to the tones that I can hear or how I hear them as somebody else. My mind is also subject to various kinds of um, interpretation and noise from my own personal history, from my mood in any moment is going to certainly color sort of how I see, you know, a storm coming. (laughs) Um, So, so I, I think the mind is in, in many ways, I guess I would say, I think the mind has been given, it's been given too much centrality. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. our sensory life has really um, been relegated to the back seat. because as humans, this is sort of our unique, aspect for all of its wonder and good and ability to daydream and imagine and all of its capacity also to create um, (laughs) some what I think are actually some really uh, pernicious tools that threaten um, our connection and belonging with one another and oneself wonderfully
0: um, says wonderfully said, you know, well, yeah, wonderfully
1: said. that's that right in, these little square yes. devices or are yeah, you right. see it in, in healthcare really this you know attendance to the truth being embedded within the electronic medical record not the truth that is sitting right across from you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so um, yeah so I think the mind actually has been given a little too much center stage and I invite and and try to bring that to my own experience and obviously i have a meditation practice that helps me to um, touch into that in a very formal way and then try to actually bring that formality into day-to-day moments throughout my life and it's often it's really how i work with patients even through this medium is i use my my own, you know, sort of self as instrument, kind of very old school <laughs> medicine, and really notice how somebody's experience through their words, through their affect is touching me. And that I use really as a deep source of information to to know how to bear witness and to hold space for the, for that particular person that is much less about what's okay. going on.
0: Up here, it's more of what's going on in here, too, right? Yeah, that uh, you know, at the end of the day, the the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Tell me, uh, Tina, you know, we grew up with the Beatles, and Mm -hmm. uh, for me, they were the fat four. And uh, when I had my open heart surgery, I remember the cardiologist that I interviewed on Heart Talk once said, There's the fat four of uh, coronary artery disease. And that is, you know, lower, lower is better, lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, lower weight, lower you know, sugar and all that. So from your field of clinical psychology, tell me about the fat four of dosa, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin. <laughs> you know, oh, these are uh-huh. you know, the these yes. neurotransmitters getting you into a state of mind that is uh is good for the soul, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, and we, I mean, this is sort of, right, you know, the the tools that they have in psychiatry are to do this exogenously, right? You sort of like, you know, you distill it down into some capsule powder form and you ingest it to affect these neurotransmitters. And, and I think from, from, I, you know, I, I care for a lot of people where at times I think medication has a role and, has a um, really central, you know, effect on people's um, well-being and mental health, and yet our our innate ability to cultivate some of these, you know, does does exist within us. It does take a little more um, intentional work and yeah. effort to begin to cultivate these, and to also know when sometimes it's it is less. Hmm, sometimes less skillful ways of coping that actually can bump our dopamine in particular. <laughs> oh, right. Which feels That's good, right. right? Which feels good and has a very naturally reinforcing property to it. I mean, that is essentially, you know, how people become um, addicted, if you will, to certain, you know, either either chemicals or certain habits, um, habits of behavior or habits of mind. Because underneath, you know, you have, um, you have this circuitry happening and this pretty steady release of a neurotransmitter that creates a positive, uplifting, spacious mood.
0: I'm sure. So you would use that as like simple strategies that one can use to, to develop right. those skills. You know. Right. I remember right. you mentioning about curiosity and. Uh, yeah. How do you stimulate that? You have a curious mind, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, and
1: we can be curious about. I mean, this is where you can be curious about one's own internal experience. So, um, pain is uh, is an example of that. We don't think of pain as something that generally elicits, you know, any of these feel good neurotransmitters. Um, however when we can bring some curiosity to our experience our direct experience of pain that can shift the calculus so that with the curiosity you do have um, a little bit of release of of things that can lessen the pain literally sort of i mean we have our own endogenous opioid system that can um that can work in our favor but just bringing that sense of curiosity rather than the contraction of oh this pain is terrible i can't believe i'm in this pain again how long would this last what am i am i going to ever be able to do this thing which is a very human reaction to discomfort just like how to learn how to be with your own internal narrative towards yourself your own critical mind towards yourself can invite also some of this uh, neurochemistry that actually can create some ease for us.
0: How to recover in many people's lives what has already been passed yeah. and start valuing the precious present? Uh, how do we tap into one's inner, you know, inner life yeah. and make, make sense of it? I want to go uh, there. Are happy to go yeah. there with me?
1: Yeah, I mean, I talk with a lot of people. You know, obviously as a psychologist, who um, you know, who get really hung up on a question of why, <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: and uh, and have some difficulty sort of setting that down because it's a very heady process. Why as If I can understand all of the why, then I can dramatically change it from this point forward. And what I know about um, uh, the power of patterns and the power of habits and also our associative factors in our brain, you know, that saying that neurons that that fire together wire together. Yeah, there are all kinds of ways that associations get made in our um, in our brain for for really good reason to help us make lighter work of our day-to-day experience and to be able to make sense of all that's coming into our sensory experience and to try to create these shortcuts. Um, Medicine is a lot like that. You sort of learn these cognitive shortcuts for things that serve you almost all of the time and then you just have to sort of have some space for like, what am I missing? What am I not considering so that you don't um, overuse that pattern recognition? But that's just sort of how we're wired as humans. I mean, that's kind of our, our hardware. This moment is already laying down what tomorrow will be our past. you know.
0: Uh, I love that. I, I really like that. Uh, and that's so powerful. Say that yes. again. What did you say? Living?
1: Well that, that this present moment right now is what will be our past tomorrow. And so we can spend a lot of presence, <laughs> a lot of moments of time trying to unpack and understand, you know, our past nice. and in doing so, this moment is just getting woven into the fabric of the past, so that tomorrow we're kind of doing the same thing. And so it's really, I work a lot with people who have some, really on this struggle of dr- dropping that, <laughs> which is not, not easy um, but you don't at want,
0: all. But you don't want to do the same thing tomorrow, right? Exactly. You know, you want to rewrite tomorrow. So there you go. Well, they are fantastic. I mean, that that's, this present moment is what will be, be our past tomorrow. And so you've got to live it to its fullness. You know. Tina, listen, man, I wish I could spend the whole year talking to you. Oh, (laughs)
1: you're very kind.
0: pressed on to discuss the components of an integrated life as opposed to a compartmentalized life and how we are wired differently for fear and safety and connection and belonging. And this is what she had to say, that life is about the doing. I guess I would also say there's such
1: a human tendency to over focus on the things we wish we were different and under focus or undervalue the things that um, that are really precious to us and that are important and and that is a kind of a, a natural tendency of the human mind to orient towards that which is um, unpleasant or potentially problematic in our lives because you know we're wired for you know sort of two things we're wired for for fear and safety you know
0: yep, yep. to
1: stay alive and we're wired for connection and belonging um and, and, so, and we
0: can rewire them.
1: yeah we i mean that's that is and that's what neuroscience is sort of showing us our capacity to be able to rewire it it is um it is a heavy lift you know it's a <laughs> this is not light work in terms of i mean i think wonderful for the field of psychology but um, but it doesn't come from a top down process. It really has to be a lot of bottom up <laughs> and a lot of experiential things, which is why you know the the field of psychology I think in just using our thoughts and our kind of our mind falls short because our lives are experienced as um, a full integration right of what we think and what we sense internally and what we feel and um and so really actually being able to integrate all of those so the rewiring happens through the doing right you're you didn't learn how to do surgery by reading surgery books right you learned how to do your craft through repetition and through doing of the thing. You had to do some of that cognitive piece, but if that's all you had, you wouldn't be a skilled surgeon. And the same is true, I think, in terms of um, psychological practice and sort of this bringing this intentional pause and and examined life and any shifts we make in our life really don't happen exclusively up here, right? They really need to be embodied. And I think uh, for a long time, psychology has really missed that embodiment piece.
0: And when you say embodiment, um, you're talking about the heart part of it, right? Because I think if the heart is not involved with the mind, there's no transformation. Uh, you, You need both. Christine Runyon is a clinical psychologist and professor in the department of family medicine and community health at the university of massachusetts medical school she's a certified mindfulness teacher she co-founded and co-leads tend health a clinical consulting practice focused on the mental well-being of healthcare practitioners you can learn more about that at tend.health Heart Talk brings to you real life issues concerning health, well-being, and spiritual living. Do visit our Heart Talk website at www.hearttalk.com.my Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Heart Talk with Dr. Charles Lee. And we would love to hear from you by writing to us at charleshart at gmail.com. Let's talk soon.